Welcome to the GM Cancer Podcast. I'm Steve Bland and this is the podcast that takes you inside cancer services in Greater Manchester to bring you all the latest news from right across the region. Now you may have seen a couple of weeks ago there was a big story all about a study published in The Lancet and the study found that the human papillomavirus, I hope I've said that right because I've been practicing, or HPV as it's, as it's more commonly known, and the HPV vaccine is cutting cases of cervical cancer by almost 90%. This is absolutely incredible news. In fact, Cancer Research UK said the findings were historic. Now, HPV doesn't just cause cervical cancer. In fact, it's responsible for many cases of cancer in the head and the neck. In the UK, girls between the age of 11 and 13 are offered the vaccine. And in 2019, that was extended to boys of the same age as well. A little later on in this episode, I'll be speaking to Steve Sweeney, who had vocal cord cancer uh, some years ago, and his son, Ben, who's 14, and Ben's had the vaccine. So we'll catch up with them and find out just you know, what it's been like over the last few years, uh, uh, what the vaccine was like, uh, what Ben feels about getting the vaccine, and also how, uh, how Steve feels about uh, the prospect of a vaccine for a cancer just like his. But before that, we should really get to grips with what HPV is, what the vaccine is, and what this uh, study means for the future of this disease. Uh, So to do that, I've got my first guest. Navin Manny is a consultant head and neck surgeon at Manchester Royal Infirmary. Navin, thank you so much for joining me. Uh, Why don't we start off with just, you know, very, very, very basically, when we're talking about HPV and the vaccine, what are we talking about? So w- what we're talking about is a vaccination which offers protection against um, four main strains of human papillomavirus, HPV, <clears throat> uh, for protection of genital warts and cervical intraepithelial neoplasia, so precancer and cervical cancer. And from, from my perspective as a head and neck surgeon, the, the knock-on effect of this is the protection it gives in relation to oropharynx cancer, which is cancer of the of the throat, cancer which that involves the area around the tonsils and the back of the tongue. So that's sort of the um, the, the rationale behind it, and uh, yeah, we can talk in a bit more detail about um, oropharynx cancer as well, and and, uh, and and the benefit of the vaccination program and. Uh, and uh, the recent paper that came out in the Lancet. Yeah, so that's what I was going to ask about, actually, the links to other cancer types, because obviously that's your uh, your special, uh, speciality is head and neck and throat. And, and, and I I was very aware of HPV and the link to cervical. Perhaps people will be less aware of the link with you know other cancers. For many years, as head and neck surgeons, we have seen patients who present with cancers of their throat. Um, and in particular, we're talking about the area... Um, around the back of the mouth, which is the the back of the tongue and the and the tonsils, that's, that's known as the oropharynx. Typically, these types of cancers had always had a strong link to smoking and alcohol use. Um, there, there was there was a, a well established link that was uh, that was shown. Now, over the last say 20, 30 years, there was an increase in the number of these types of cancers. And when these types of cancers were looked at um, in more detail from 
the point of view of their underlying cause, there was a subset that were actually related to human papillomavirus. So that is to say that we are seeing an increasing number of patients with oropharynx cancer in whom the link is not with smoking or alcohol, but is directly linked to human papillomavirus. And what's in that, fact, what's behind that? Sorry to interrupt. What's behind that? That increase. So th- there's been a lot of. Um, there's been, and it's what I suppose there's been a number of theories as to why this is. Um, we know that HPV-related oropharynx cancer is usually transmitted sexually, likely through oral sex, um, and probably picked up through direct transmission. Um, from, I suppose, from, from people who, who are carrying HPV. The transmission can occur many years before the development of cancer. So, so th- that is, that's the link to cervical cancer. The, 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 the transmission is directly orogenital. Let's go on now to have a chat about this study in The Lancet, the one I mentioned at the top uh, of the episode. And the headline figure was that the HPV vaccine is cutting cases of cervical cancer by almost 90%. Now, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but as someone that works in this field, it must be really encouraging to see such a development. And I guess for someone that works in head and neck cancers, are you now looking for how this impacts uh, your world and your field? Absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, this is a very interesting study um, published in The Lancet uh, earlier this month, which looks to examine what the effect was of immunization and the immunization program on cervical cancer um, and and pre-cancer so that's what we call cancer in situ um so it was an observational study um it was a very large data set looking at um something like over 13 million years of follow-up um women aged between 20 and 30 and um it showed a, a relative fall in cervical cancer rates um in vaccinated women um compared to previous unvaccinated cohorts. And in in those women vaccinated aged, or those girls vaccinated aged 12 to 13, there was, as you say, an 87% reduction in cervical cancer rates. And um, you know, this is very much in support of offering the vaccines to, to, um, to 12 to 13 year olds, um, and, and very much a testament to the, the power of vaccination. Now, how is that related to head and neck? Well, if the HPV virus is not then present in that cohort of vaccinated girls and now boys, then it can't be transmitted. It can't be transmitted orally either, which will then have a direct knock-on effect. If, if there's no oral transmission, then there's no development of oropharynx-related HPV cancer. It's it's clearly really exciting and and. I'm wary of looking too far ahead, but is it is it feasible? Is it something that we should be expecting to think that it may be in the future, in the not too distant future, all cancers that are caused by HPV could be a thing of the past? Yeah, I mean, I think that's very much the aim. You know, um, I mean, vaccinating girls alone will provide not only immunity in the group of girls that are vaccinated, but it also it will also allow for herd immunity so that there is they're, they're then not transmitting um, virus to, to, to men. 
who, who they have, you know, if there's um, sexual contact with. Um, but in addition to that, it also means that uh, th because the rates are then lower in the in men, that there's an overall lower rate of virus in the population. And I think, as you say, moving forward, may maybe talking 20, 25 years, um, the rates will be virtually non-existent. And, and therefore, and therefore, one would imagine that uh, it would also follow that the rates of HPV-related oropharynx cancer will also be massively reduced. And, and actually, the you know oropharynx-related HPV cancer is probably one of the commonest types of cancers we see now. The, when, when the you know, the, interestingly, the if you look at some of the CDC figures, the Center for Disease Control in the U.S., the incidence of oropharynx-related HPV cancer has overtaken that of cervical cancer, which is HPV related. So, so actually, it, it's a, it's more a population disease burden than cervical cancer now. So it's it's very interesting. It's you know, although it's uh, you know, it's not thought about as much as cervical cancer. It's that the rates are are increasing. Navin, before I let you go, we should touch on on a kind of more broader point about cancer treatment. How encouraged and excited are you as someone that works in cancer by the impact of this vaccine and what it means for, you know, what it could potentially mean, sorry, for other other cancers and other areas? Oh, very much. It's really, I mean, it's really fantastic to see this kind of work and research. And, you know, I think one of the things... Um, that we always think about as doctors um, and surgeons when treating patients with um, cancer and, and say, for example, or a pharynx cancer is the is the, the really huge sequelae of treatment. So patients having either, let's say, surgery to remove cancer from from the oropharynx or or even radiation treatment or, and chemotherapy have really major side effects from treatment long term and we can be talking about long-term effects on their swallowing inability to swallow um, effects on their breathing um, long-term issues with pain so you know the, the the burden for patients and and society with some of the long-term side effects of treatment is enormous so this is a really you know, this is really really welcome to see the results of um of the vaccination program and you know i think in the in the time we're in at the moment uh with, with covid it's a real testament to to the power of vaccination you know it tell it tells a story there as well i can understand that pe people have their reasons for uh for skepticism surrounding vaccination but you know i think i think the, the evidence is there um you know even looking at this study that we've been talking about, uh, the recent study in the Lancet, you, you can see that, um, that the evidence is is clear. Uh, you know, we we are we are showing that the vaccine works. We're showing a reduction in cancers, and uh, and the knock-on effect of that will be um, a reduction in rates of cervical and head and neck cancer, and uh, reducing all the all the morbidity and um, suffering that goes with it. So, you know, it, it, in my mind, I think it's uh, it's. I would really encourage anybody to um, to, to participate in the vaccine program because because the benefits are there and real. Right, Navin, thank you so much. 
Time for my second guest now. And Steve, I'm going to let you introduce yourself and tell us all about your cancer story. Yeah, my name's Steve Sweeney. I had a diagnosis of vocal cord cancer about six years ago now, um, roughly about this time, um, six years ago. And um, essentially, just the voice started to get really hoarse. And I went to um, see the guys in MRI. They diagnosed it as vocal cord cancer, T2 vocal cord cancer. I had an operation which removed some but not all of the cancer. So in the lead up to the Christmas period, I had um, some radiotherapy consecutively over 20 days, which successfully um, got rid of the tumour. And then obviously over the last um, six years, I've been cancer-free, which has been brilliant, but the recovery from cancer was obviously um, significant, both um, psychologically and physically. And uh, you can probably hear and tell from my voice that my vocal uh, cords aren't completely healed as a result of the, uh, the, the cancer that I had. It's probably a cancer that, I mean, I've I've talked to a lot of people with cancer, a lot of doctors, a lot of oncologists. It's not a cancer that I've really come across very much. Do you want to just tell us about how, you know, how it was diagnosed, what the symptoms were, and, and also kind of what you know what the effects have been since? Yeah, it's um, I, I guess it started with a really hoarse voice and the voice just coming in and out, and uh, particularly this time of year, you can put things like that down to colds and flu and, and just general bugs and even now COVID, which obviously wasn't around six years ago. But it just stayed with me and I just felt fine, but I still had the hoarse voice. And then um, just, just friends and family said, you, you should get that checked out. So um, I, I got it checked out and unfortunately um, on, on screen, I could see there was a cancer as well as a physician. It was that clear. Um, you could just see a tumour on the, on, on the vocal cords when the endoscope went down. In terms of impact, I mean, you know, voice quality was, was, was terrible post-operation, was terrible post-radiotherapy. And as somebody who, um, you know, acted in a leadership position previously within businesses, communication is key. So not being able to communicate or somebody who's used to communicating, an extrovert who's happy to communicate, it really took away um, my, my, my ability to just, 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 just interact. Um, so there's lots of pointing, there was lots of gestures as, as things started to improve, but just, just taking away that voice from you was, was, was just terrible. Um, and, and it's, uh, it, I'm, I'm just thank, thankful I can now communicate because I know what it feels like to be, to not to be able to, it's a, it's a privilege to be able to. So we're talking today about the HPV vaccine. Um, do you want to just explain, cause you'll probably explain this better than I will, why we're talking to you about it, because obviously the, you know, the story that was around a couple of weeks ago was about the uh, the success rates for cervical cancer and how, you know, how much of an impact it's had on that. Uh, so why are we speaking to you? Why why is it relevant to your cancer? Well, the, the simple answer, Steve, is that if the vaccine was around and was administered to me when I was 12 or 13, I wouldn't have had cancer. I wouldn't have had this cancer. My cancer is a HPV-related cancer. Cancer of the vocal cords can be caused by HPV. That was the case with me. So frankly, this vaccine would have stopped my cancer and the physical and mental um, journey that I've had to go through as a result. So, you know, one one prick in the arm would have stopped me from, from doing that. So I'm really passionate about making sure that people can prevent cancers. And frankly, the cancer I have is preventable through a prick in the arm and buying into a vaccine program, which is there not just to prevent cervical cancers, but numerous other cancers in head and neck, 
um, in particular, which is obviously an area of, of um, significance for me. It's, I mean, it sounds dead simple, doesn't it? It sounds, you know, it sounds really simple. One, it's a no brainer. One prick in the arm, like you say, yeah. and and it can, you know, save another person in the future from all the pain and all the anguish and all the difficulty you've gone through, and your family's been through as well. Let's talk about your family a little bit because your son Ben is is he fourteen? Am I right? In, Fourteen, yeah, Ben's fourteen. Fourteen, Ben's fourteen, and Ben's had the vaccine, hasn't he now? Yeah, so Ben had the vaccine in the last year. Um, you know, Ben, Ben's seen me go through a cancer journey. You know, Ben would have been what eight, eight, nine, that that sort of age when I was going through the cancer journey. So, well aware of what was going on, well aware of seeing me disappear to hospitals, well aware of me going through a checking program over a five-year period post-treatment as well. So every time you go to that check, is my dad going to be okay? Is he going to come back with, with 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 a smile on his face that he's passed the test, or is he going to come back? You know, and it, it, it's reoccurred. So he's been well aware of that the whole way through. So when the opportunity came up for him to have the HPV vaccine, again he would describe that as a no brainer as well because he doesn't want to happen to him what happened to me because there could potentially be a family connection there because there's something that makes me susceptible where HPV and my um, my 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 my, my head and neck, if you like, you know, uh, connect in, in a way which then a cancer could, 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 could happen. So for Ben, for, for Ben, Ben was, look, you know, I don't want that to happen to me. It wasn't even a question in his mind. It wasn't that we, that we had to necessarily encourage him. It was, yeah, I'm, t- I'm taking the vaccine. Why wouldn't I? That's just, that, that, that's just happening. No, no issue. And, and you'll, you'll hear from Ben and you, you, you'll, you'll see why he says that. And there was no question in your mind. I know we've, I know we've over the last couple of years, you know, vaccines. Do we? Don't we? A lot of people have had a lot of opinions. You don't really want to get into that, but it is, you know, it's always been a kind of issue for parents, hasn't it? With even you know MMR and that kind of thing. That you know, certain parents perhaps are a little bit reluctant to, you know, to expose their children to vaccines, even even if, like you say, it's a no brainer. What's your what would your message be to a parent who you know, maybe for you know for lots of very legitimate, very good, you know, well-meaning reasons was a little bit unsure about about putting their child forward? Um, there's there's a there's a straight and simple answer to that, which is there are experts out there who've got your back. There are experts out there who you should trust. The people in the NHS, the people in Greater Manchester, the people behind the vaccine program are there to help and support you and prevent you from having the experience that I've had. Balance that off against reading stuff on social media. Balance that off against an uninformed, um, unqualified um, opinion of, of, of somebody else. It, it, just ma- it just makes absolutely zero sense. So the value exchange for me and to any parent, the value exchange, as I say, a small prick in the arm, which doesn't hurt, which is over in a matter of seconds to prevent a lifetime's worth of potential cancer, the value exchange is absolutely tiny. And, you know, who'd have thought that actually being able to prevent cancer from a vaccine would even be possible? That's that, that's just tremendous as well. Oh, it's incredible, isn't it? And, and you know, I know, you know, my wife, Rachel, she died from breast cancer just over three years ago now, but I know that it was really important to her you know, whatever happened to her, it was really important for her to pull out, you know, the good things out of her story and out of her experience. And one of those was, you know, encouraging people to get checked, you know, check the breast, check themselves, you know, know your body, you know, know your symptoms. And I guess it's, 
the same for you. This is the kind of passion, like you were saying earlier, to you know to try and educate, to try and actually pull something really you're really good and positive out of, out of what's been a really difficult experience for you. Yeah, and, and, and again, if you think about it, if the vaccine take-up is of a certain level, and I'm not a mathematician or a virologist, I trust the people in the NHS and, and the advice they give. But if you look at it another way and you say, what if everyone took the vaccine, both girls and boys at that particular age, we can actually eradicate these cancers in the UK. That would be a tremendous step forward. So you talk about polio and some of the other diseases that, that, that we just don't hear of anymore. We could actually eradicate these, these diseases. So from an individual point of view, it's fabulous. But think of the knock-on effect to the NHS as well, all of these things that don't have to be then treated. So the NHS can get on with treating things that perhaps are um, more, more, more complex and, and, and less, less, um, less curative at this, at this point in science. So there is no excuse for me. You know, that there are, There's a vaccine out there that can stop a whole bunch of things um, throughout your life, there are going to be issues with, you know, different different organs, heart, etc. At different points in points in your life, why make a certain type of cancer one of the things that you should worry about? It's just a safety net taking these vaccines in, just as it would have been taking a, a polio vaccine or mumps and uh, MMR and, and all, all those sorts of things. And you know, a lot of the science behind the anti-vax um, movement that's that, that, that's been out there has proved to be debunked as well, really. So. For me, it's just trust the NHS, trust the physicians, get the vaccines. Let's get to 100%. Let's eradicate the cancers and then let's let the NHS worry about the things that aren't curable at the moment. And let's let the NHS concentrate on those rather than the things that are curable, which people aren't getting vaccinated for. Yeah, what a magical thing. I mean, I imagine if you told someone 10, 20 years ago that we had a, we'd have a vaccine for, you know, that could work on all these different types of cancers, it you know, would have sounded like pie in the sky, but this is actually here. And like you say, one little prick in the arm, you know, bish, bash, bosh, and we're away. Uh, is, is Ben around uh, to have a quick chat with? Yeah, of course. I'll go and get him. Excellent. Thank you. Is that him? Hey, Ben, can you hear me okay? Yeah. How you doing? I'm good, thanks. So, Ben, yeah, just tell me a little bit about what you can remember about your dad's treatment and the experience that he went through and how that affected you uh, he just went through like a horrible experience he was going to the hospital like almost weekly or monthly I think it was and I just remember just like not seeing him for a while and it was just wasn't very good and then kind of when it came to the point where you know there was this vaccine yeah a possible vaccine that you could have you know which might in the future prevent you from going through the same thing what was your what was your kind of feeling behind it did you is any persuasion required uh no because i just saw uh, obviously my dad go through it and i didn't want to have the same thing happen to me so i just had it and it didn't hurt or anything what was it like then what was i mean was it literally well, just a little it literally a little distracted me and i didn't even realize i had it and then <laughs> after i had it I, I said is that it and then they were like yeah and i didn't even feel it afterwards or anything was there any chat among you know the other kids in your in your school um you know friends and that kind of thing was there any chat about about people wanting it or not wanting it people being a bit um, you know a bit nervous it, about it maybe yeah, everyone got it, I'm pretty sure, and then no one was that nervous. A couple of people were nervous because they didn't like injections and that, but uh, everyone ended up having it fine. So, yeah. It must be really amazing to be reassured that you're you're protected from that experience that you watch your dad go through. Yeah, yeah, it's good. I hope you don't mind me saying, but he's a pretty cool customer anyway and really relaxed and calm. 
I can tell, yeah. But but I think I think you know there was no persuasion required because Ben's an intelligent young man who frankly made his own decision and own call very quickly, obviously based on family history, but also on a complete lack of fear of needles and vaccines and just saw it as part of the thing that he does in order to protect himself as he goes forward. Yeah, it's massive credit to you for you know, for raising him to have that that reassurance and that that confidence in in you know in medics and in, in physicians to be able to do their job and not to question it. Um Ben, if somebody's listening to this, if somebody if a parent or if another 14 or a 12 and 13 year olds, isn't it, who get it? If another 12 or 13 year old, you know, just you know, not you're not too sure about whether they should get it or not, or a parent of of a child of that age, you know, they're not too sure about, you know, putting their child forward. What would you, uh, what would you say to them? Yeah, you should just get it because in the long run, it'll help you. You just don't want to go through all the treatment because there's just no point when there's a vaccine that can stop it easily. It's as simple as that, isn't it, Steve? That simple. Yeah, yeah. And it, in a way, you can talk it and talk it and talk it. But I think I said it before, you know, the value exchange is so enormous with this vaccine. Yeah. Just as it is with all vaccines, quite frankly. Why wouldn't you? This is a monthly podcast, so you've got a few weeks to wait until the next episode. But in the meantime, we want to hear from you. If you've got a topic suggestion, a guest suggestion, or any feedback on what we've talked about today, find GM Cancer on social media and get in touch. That's at GM Cancer on Twitter. And you can also find GM Cancer on Facebook too.